and happy Tuesday, my friends. I'm Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you to a Cisco Champion Unfiltered episode, a Cisco Champion radio spinoff series that gives our champions a platform to have casual conversations around a variety of topics focused on technology, career, and other interesting stuff. Don't forget, if you like our podcast, subscribe wherever you're listening to us. All right, today is the second part of our two-part series on home networks. In episode 32, released on August 16th, we discussed our home network security, why you should care, and how to make sure your network is secure from bad actors. They are out there. So if you missed it, check it out. And today we are going to discuss home network design. So we're going to dive a little deeper into design principles, home labbing, and the overlap between your home network and your office network, which is super relevant in this hybrid work world. And if this discussion was about interior design, I'd probably dominate the conversation, but we are going to get technical. So we have an amazing cast of Cisco champions to keep things relevant and interesting. That said, let's get to our introductions. I'm going to start with Amr. Who are you? Okay. Thank you, Emily. So my name is uh, Amr Nasher. I am managing director for Cisco partner based in Saudi Arabia called Tawassal which is focused more into collaboration solutions from Cisco. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, AMR underscore Nasher, N-A-S-H-E-R. And this is my sixth year as Cisco champion. Six years. Congratulations. Thank Sibren, you. Sibren, tell us about yourself. Hey, okay, Emily. My name is Sibren Camp. I'm owner of Three Corners, located in the Netherlands. And we mainly focus uh, kind of the same as, as Amer on the Cisco UC and the Cisco Contact Center portfolio. And because we are top of stack, and I think Amer has the same problem, is that we need to track all other kinds of technologies on the, on which we run our application suite. All right, Liam. Hello, uh, I'm Liam Keegan. Uh, I run the U.S. operations of uh, 24/7 Rio Bravo Systems. Uh, my background is I'm a longtime CCIE, so I, I do some business and I do some technical. So I, I operate mostly as a, a enterprise architect or solutions architect. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Liam J Keegan. I'm excited to, to to dive into some of these topics today. It's super exciting. Peter, so nice to have you on an episode. Yes, Welcome it has been back, way, my way too long. Um, thanks to long COVID, still recovering. But my name is Peter Nefkens. I'm a consultant and an owner uh, of as an independent contractor. Uh, I'm doing consultancy work, architectural work, technical and business. And you can find me on Twitter. Uh, via at pjnef or my blog nefkins.net if I have the energy to write um, and my focus primarily n- campus networking, intent-based networking and security. And GJ, last but not least. Yeah, my name is uh, Gert-Jan de Boer, GJ in short because my name is unpronounceable. I'm the CTO at Azure Network Solutions, a Dutch value-added reseller and managed service provider. And we focus primarily on networking and security. Today we'll be talking about the design of home networking. And to start off, I would like uh, to tell a bit about uh, about my network and the people using it. So uh, I have a fairly small network, but maybe big for a home user. So I have uh, about three switches. I use uh, VLAN segmentation to separate guest net, uh, guests in the network from uh, our own persons. And uh, 
we have some IoT stuff that's in its own network and being uh, separated from everything else. Uh, I have currently 66 active uh, unique clients on the network and that's with four people living in the house and two bunnies. Hey. <laughs> yeah, the bunnies, the bunnies <laughs> really make sense. <laughs> Are you tracking the bunnies? Yeah, IoT. Definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Air, air tag, air tag enabled. Yep. So Liam, can you tell me uh, something about your home network? Sure. So actually, I just looked the other day. I think I have 60 some odd addresses, most of which is Sonos audio equipment. But I, I have sort of taken the other uh, approach to this. I, I used to sort of run this kind of segmented uh, segmented home network and then my uh, my 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 customers, my wife and two children, did not like the sort of frequent updates and and uh, outages. So uh, probably about three years ago, I just switched to mostly a complete zero trust model. So I have a flat network with that virtually anybody can join, and anything that is of relevance is behind either some sort of software defined VPN uh, or just not accessible. And, and I kind of take more of a host-based approach than anything with networking, like anything specific intrinsically to the network. Although I do, just to keep the adverts down, uh, run a pie hole for DNS filtering. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it. Uh, about as brain dead as I can get. What's a pie hole? Good question. So it's it's a <laughs> it's a, a piece of software that, that runs a, 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 a lookup service. So like when you go to... Uh, cisco.com that turns that that host name into an ip address well piehole maintains a database of all the like advertisement urls and hosts that are that are out there on the internet and instead of redirecting it to where it's supposed to go basically says nah there's nothing there so things like your your ipads ios devices you know uh, a computer you just don't see much of the many of the adverts uh when when you're using a, a dns filter like makes that. the internet usable yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of shocking surfing with that with it and without it. Should we go around the horn? Everybody want to tell us about your home networks? What do you guys use for um for like wireless in in house wireless? Like how how large or the area that is it apartment? Is it like a multi story house or something? And what kind of wireless that you guys using? Oh, my my house has three three stories. And um, I've, I, I think I've chosen five, six, seven, seven years ago at least to uh, to build up my home network entirely out of Meraki. So I have uh, an access point on each floor. Uh, and that's really necessary because each floor is separated with uh, a concrete uh, floor. I think it's uh, 30 centimeters thick or something. So nothing, nothing, any, uh, any, any Wi-Fi uh, uh, signals uh, pass through uh, those floors. So I really need access points, uh, access point at each, at each, uh, at, each tip, at each floor. And um, I think last year I decided to go to Wi-Fi six, not a six E yet. That wasn't available at that moment. So if it's a Wi-Fi six enabled um, Wi-Fi infrastructure at home, that sounds a little bit similar to my network layout. So I also have a three stories uh, home and have an access point on each le uh, each level. But then uh, I also use an outdoor access point by Meraki because you can't lose connectivity when you're outside the house, right? No, no, you can't. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. 
my home is also three stories high. I'm using two Meraki access points for about two years. Before that, I had two 1852 APs in Mobility Express. My home network is roughly 30 concurrent unique devices for four persons. But it's also a little bit of an office network for myself already for a long time and since a couple of years also for Renata, uh, which means that it's more an enterprise network now than a home network. And from a security perspective, I'm taking the wireless first because most clients are wireless, but my two workstations are fixed and connected, uh, wired, because that's more reliable and it saves me an AP. And uh, I'm trying to take it as much to a zero trust, but I'm also segmenting my network between guests, IoT, and my internal corporate trusted network. But can you can you elaborate a little bit on on the, the zero trust? Because I, it, it's you mentioned it, so it must be important for you. So what what does it mean for in a home office environment or in a home environment? For me, it means that um, I kind of trust for now all my devices because I manage them using uh, a mobile device manager. Uh, it's actually Meraki. Um, I'm doing my update management myself, so I can trust it. And then the internet outbound access, I've got it quite restricted to uh, only a number of ports. So no permit any any outbound. It's very limited to like WhatsApp application, FaceTime, um, and some other applications and URL filtering using also a pie hole to black hole traffic. But I'm also leveraging uh, Umbrella uh, on both my mobile devices with Meraki MDM and my endpoints using the roaming client connector. So I also have my mobile security when I'm outside. And I've got a couple of policies there to, to block uh, gambling sites and some uh, bad actor sites and possible bad actors using DNS. So so just out of curiosity, if you bring in a new like internet-connected thermostat or something like that, will you actually go profile the device and figure out who it talks to? Well, I'm not running ICE yet, but um, yes, I'm checking out the ports and I'm limiting the access. So actually my... Uh, central heating system got replaced uh, earlier this this year and um, it also has a monitoring device because it's a lease and that uses a unique port so I already put it in my IoT network and then the, the engineer installing it says it didn't work I said no because you're using a different port I just needed to check the traffic first and I've created a separate policy for that device so that device can only talk for that port no other device in my network is allowed to use that port so I'm also using DHCP reservations for a couple of devices because that makes the identity in reverse engineering what has happened on your network a little bit easier. And yes, with Cisco NFR as a Cisco partner, I was able to get a firepower and firepower management center for like a long time. And I've recently merged my switch and my old ASA back to a firepower again. Yeah, so that that's the thing, right? Uh, the zero trust approach doesn't mean that you just uh, stop controlling the devices because when I basically look at uh, uh, my devices, there there's not much there's not much to trust. Like I don't have any secure data or st some storage that with private information that's reachable from my client networks. But still, there's some segmentation there, so you don't have any. Uh, any devices that you don't have any control over that can infect the devices that you do have control over. And 
for example, there's uh, a lot of devices that are trying to call back home. Um, a few years uh, ago, I read about TVs that recorded audio in your uh, living room and sent it back for uh, analytic purposes. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, when you get some cloud-connected devices, some uh, uh, solar panel inverter or something like that, they always try to call back home and send some data to the cloud and you don't know what the vendor is sending. So for me, that's a reason to put all those kind of devices in a very restricted VLAN so you control the access going outside. Yeah, that's true. But the thing is, and that's the challenge, um, we also like to play wireless to our wireless speakers. So those IoT devices sometimes need to be in my internal network too because of AirPlay or any other zero-conf bonjour networking. That makes it a little bit difficult. So I'd rather have my control on the edge too, uh, just to make sure about that call home. Like the IKEA, uh, IKEA Tratfi gateway, it needs to have internet access, otherwise it just stops working. I tested and validated it, unfortunately. So, so let, let me ask this. So, so the interesting part about this panel is everybody here works for a Cisco partner, which means you know, we have maybe a unique ability to procure Cisco that the the maybe the the listeners of this this podcast would not maybe shifting shifting for a second like uh, assuming that that people don't want to spend you know tens of thousands of, of dollars or euros or whatever on their home network every year what what is like Peter yeah what what is your take on like what what people could be doing you know that, that may be low cost or or you know, without, without a big investment, both time and money. One, one of the things I would say, and I'm doing that, uh, I've actually created a task uh, for every two months, and that's patch management. Every two months, I've got a task that's coming up in my calendar that says, check all your devices for updates and update them. Because patching, what we do in the business, in the enterprise, should be done at home too. And I do have a network-attached storage server with some data, so I'm very protective of that. Uh, it's actually switched off now, but um, that's the best security. <laughs> that's true, but yeah. checking if there are updates for all your devices, and they, it can count up quite quickly, like your inverter for your solar panel system, the thermal stat that's online, um, the Philips Huey bridge or the Tratfi bridge. There are all devices that can be updated, and that's one of the things that I actually do. Another one that you can do, and that's with a little bit of cheap cloud storage is make a backup of your data periodically so that if you get that ransomware attack at home, because your home isn't the enterprise-grade security, uh, make sure you have a backup and don't forget to restore that back, test that restore function now and then. So those would be at least two tips. But but Liam, I'm, I'm, yeah, you mentioned that uh, you have a, a quite simplistic and home network approach, and I kind of kind of like I kind of like that approach because when I look at my network, although as as Peter Jan said, make sure you uh, update all your components. Mine are set to auto update, so I do not really care, and I'm kind of not regularly check, but sometimes I do. Uh, but not if the firmware is updated, and more if there are new features in there. Um, so when I look at my home network, it takes quite a lot of time. It consumes time to make sure it's updated and running, and 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 make sure that every everyone can still access the network. 
but your approach is is pretty simple. It, uh, I think there's hardly any maintenance, right? Well, and and that's the thing is like for me, it's like I have enough. Like like for me, I I sort of made a d- determination. I didn't want to really do my professional job at my house, right? Because I I think it's sort of different horses for different courses. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that my home network needs that type of protection because if there's if I'm going to get ransomware. It's going to be because there somebody clicks on something on a laptop, yeah. right? And you know we just don't have that many of those. I, I am also like a lot of people, and and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. This is just where I fall on it. A lot of people are very, very concerned or or aware of like the data that their devices send about them, right? Now, like I'm just sort of a little bit more meh. I mean, if if Samsung wants to try and monetize my living room. You know, I, I, I just sort of am not like I don't think I care enough to, you know, you know I, I turn most of the things off. And but but like I am not willing to invest the time to go take that to the next step. So it's like mine is just very like I have a I, I don't even run Cisco at home. I used to have Meraki. I pulled it all out and just run a Synology, you know, sort of prosumer one one little router and a, and a remote access point, uh, you know, and it's like it auto updates. And yeah, but I think like going back to your to your point, it's like I think the thing that that people can do at their home is is turn on windows updates or mac updates right that that's number one and number two is get a decent antivirus anti-malware right avast malware by i mean something i mean anything whether it's paid or not i don't know what what do you guys think well i think i think you're, you're you're partially right um um and and i think you already mentioned a a good one um the decent Anti-virus, anti-malware. What's what, what's considered decent? Is that the the free ones or the one Microsoft already provides? Or I, you, you know, I I think that it's like as long as you, because even for a commercial client, and and I'm sorry, I, I want to make sure that you guys agree with this, and I'm just not talking out my butt. But it's like I, I like like I think the biggest thing that people can do is update their devices. Is is hit that Windows update button. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's number one. And that's the thing. Like I go to my mom's house or my parents' house. I look at my mom's computer and she's like, I- I'm afraid of updating. So I don't. I'm like, stop. Press the button. Reboot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, does it, I mean, we have a global audience here. Does everybody else have that same experience with their <laughs> with, the, with their their uh, loved ones? Yeah. My sister, like she she never she never, ever do any updates. Like she says that uh, the companies are are making the updates up just to make our our devices more slower so we can buy new devices. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> she always has an update. Well, those type of updates on phones, I'm usually careful, like waiting for a week, two weeks. But on the security updates, I'm quite strict. But uh, the, the thing is, on the ransomware, I know that my wife is careful. I know that I'm careful. And even I was caught in a couple of phishings. Okay, those were tests, by the way. Um, But they get so reliable. And I also have two kids. And they're not internet savvy yet. Was was it your wife that sent the phishing test? No, no, no. Because that would be awesome. No, no. No, that would actually be me sending the phishing to try out to see how alert she is. And the thing is, my, my home network is also a little bit of a test network. So I can really do the proper consulting based on my own experience. Yeah, that's one of the things, right? That it's it's a way to try out the stuff you're selling to your customers. Yeah. That's 
So that's for us as Cisco partners with the NFR stuff, where it's easy to get some of the stuff into our homes, test it out. Like I, I have a full-blown enterprise stack. I use uh, Secure Endpoint. I use uh, the Meraki MDM. I use all the Meraki uh, mm-hmm. equipment. It's like, it, and I, I do that because that's what I know. And that's what I understand. And that's what I want to get experience with. And I want to sell feel, to your customers, right? Yes. Kind of eat your own dog food. But uh, I, on the other hand, I, I used to run a network using, uh, like, I think I'm allowed to tell the name. It's Linksys because they got bought by Cisco at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to have all this Linksys equipment in my home all this consumer grade equipment and it was i couldn't get it right like all the the wi-fi was fighting with all the neighbors and i couldn't get it right it i was constantly changing channels uh didn't do anything like auto rf or something like that so at some point i made the decision just invest in some good nfr stuff stuff that you know and just play with it at home exactly yeah from from designing uh like away from testing devices for like customers like personally because we we are doing we are in technology so technology is more like a hobby and profession for us so personally i really like um like i have more like all of us more most of the um, our networks have more than 30 devices or something um instead of um like Severin and JJ have more than 60. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> like personally, I have most of these devices. None of them are testing like devices instead of like uh, Disk Pro or something like that that I'm, I'm using personally. Um, most of these devices are like more smart devices, like smart, um, like uh, IoT devices or um, Philips Hue, um, automated blinds, like um, AirPods and all these things. HomePods and all these things. So uh, having like a stable infrastructure and stable wireless is the most important things to run all these devices. From from like, I'm not sure about you guys. Are you doing the same thing or um, from designing the network? Is it any advices on how to design a very good stable uh, wireless infrastructure so you can run all these uh, devices on it? But that's it. That's probably what Gertjan said is also my experience with the consumer grade stuff. As a network engineer, I couldn't troubleshoot it because it didn't supply me the information to do proper troubleshooting. And then it's better to save up money for uh, entry level pro of a competitor of Cisco or Cisco equipment with an NFR. So you can actually do that troubleshooting because there's really a difference in the wireless network from my ISP supplied cheap thing and the network I'm currently running. I never have problems with my wireless network. Did you, like like me, also did a wireless survey in your house to make sure <laughs> the access points are in the correct place? I, I want to learn that. So a friend of mine still needs to come down to do a wireless site survey uh, with that sidekick just to check out my levels. But he's also going to bring two APs one for the outside with a Meraki outside camera. Why? I wanted some time at a PVT and I want to try it out, how it works. And the other one is to optimize my wireless network. Not yet. Yeah, but Emmer has a great point that 
uh, even our home networks, they became uh, more and more uh, important. And they, yeah. people need to rely on it. It's like uh, my kids go to school and they have homework and they need to be able to trust the wireless network, be able to work on it because they have to uh, uh, go back to school the next day and have their job done. And it's the same when you work from home, you need a stable internet connection, you need a great Wi-Fi, and that's uh, it, it's very important to have a, a stable environment. Yeah. And like with a, a lot of equipment uh, and what a lot of people do, they just, uh, they buy something in the store or they get something from their ISP, they mount it on the wall and they're there. I, and they n- never think about it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah that and uh, and they get some some Wi-Fi boosters. Yeah, that that also brings another point uh, that Gertjan mentioned, and that's maintenance windows. I used to be able to do updates anytime I wanted, but now with work from home and teenagers doing their homework or watching TV via the same internet connection, I cannot do that anymore. I really need to be careful when I do my updates. So you need to set your alarm clock between three and four a.m. <laughs> no. <laughs> like currently currently we are we are more um doing a lot of things like post like we do it uh, even before the pandemic however now we are doing mo- it more and more um working from home and taking a lot of things uh online so having a very stable internet or very stable um infrastructure at home is very like um important things like as you say, uh, you guys say that you cannot be disconnected. <laughs> you are always connected, um, and you need to be. Um, even the, when the sewer is the, the the water is is not uh, is not there. That's not a big problem as there is mm-hmm. if there is no internet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what 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 a world we live in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you let let's live. I think Wi-Fi is. I, I think that's that's that's. I think that's a great topic. Um, if I if I need to buy a new access point, uh, where should I uh, look at? What what are the key concerns on on features, on on specifications, on? A key thing for me would be the number of clients per radio, because everything is wireless. We've we're talking here already about uh, of home networks between thirty and sixty devices. So if you're running two APs on your home network, that means you have fifteen to thirty clients on average per AP. Um, your consumer-grade equipment is usually 5 to 10. So that's one spec that I would really research uh, to make sure that the radio can handle all those clients. So even if an access point with 5, 10, or 12, or 16 antennas, that doesn't really help out, right? No. Okay. It means that it has a number of radios, and per radio you have a number of clients. But if the software is only capable of handling like 5 or 10 clients at the same time, because the CPU is too low or whatever, it's not going to work. And that's also what I used in the past uh, to explain to CTOs what's the difference between a Cisco AP and the one I get from a local Best Buy or whatever local technology store for 50 euros. That's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons is the number of clients per radio and the reliability besides troubleshooting. But but is is this something where, is, is this something where like the majority of people, I don't, I mean, they don't know, right? I mean, they're gonna go, to, to their their big box electronics store and say, I need Wi-Fi. Give me give me one Wi-Fi, <laughs> and and that's what they're gonna get. Yeah. 
And do, do you think that there is, I mean, do you think that the, that there is a need for sort of more advanced security or capabilities for the average user for the average home? Or is this more of a pro? No, I, I yeah, yeah. Well, the number of clients, I think that's a good one. You, you really need to dive into the specifications of the access point. Uh, and the other one I definitely would look at is if it supports a guest Wi-Fi, for example, or a, something similar feature set uh, so that you do not have to share your own your home SSID, pre-shared key or whatever mechanism you have uh, to secure your home network to your guests. So that's um, that's true. at least one thing I would look at. And one of the most important uh, things that you see in residential areas is all the overlap in channels. Yeah. Like all these cheap devices, they uh, they only support like a, a small uh, a small percentage of a band. So there's a limited number of channels that you can choose from. Usually the device picks a channel and sticks on it. And then you see all these overlapping channels uh, between all the houses that are fighting for the, the airspace. And even uh, like something that a lot of people don't know about Wi-Fi is that when you want to use two access points and you want to be able to use the, na- the same name to connect to them and roam between the one uh, to the second, you need to give them the same SSID name and use a different channel. Uh, but then, uh, like uh, I explained that I had four access points, so I need at least four unique channels uh, only to supply my own home. Or make sure you do not have any overlap, right? Yes, so you need to go buy a house in the countryside and get your neighbors as far as way <laughs> as possible. <laughs> yeah, th- and that's the other one, is channel width, uh, Gert-Jan. Um, a lot of these consumer things, they set a channel width to 80 megahertz or even 160, taking all the channels, so you can get at 1.3 gigabit speed. Well, that only works if you're the single client and you're sitting hmm, 40 centimeters away from the AP. As soon as you're further away, it will reduce the speed. So it's better for a little bit more towards enterprise design with a high density or medium density to go for a 40 megahertz channel. And that works actually pretty good with my network. I don't have any speed issues. What what is it? What is your uh, home internet speed? My 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 home internet is cable, and it's five hundred down, forty up. What about everybody else's? I'm just more. Mine's two hundred symmetric. Okay, mine is two hundred down and sixty up. Yeah, same. I I just like I just moved uh, to a new house, which is like literally in four days back. Uh, so I I I brought. Oh, congrats! <laughs> thank you very much. So I brought um like I I bought um, Cisco new switches and um, Cisco Meraki access point two access points Meraki, and uh, still like uh, yesterday I just installed the Meraki access point. So you know you know that Meraki still requires time to ch- flips between channels and all these things. So until now I, uh, the Wi-Fi at home is not that stable. Um, I have 200 uh, meg up and 60 down. Uh, no, no, sorry. I have 200 download and um, 60 upload. What about you, Emily? <laughs> what about What's me? your internet feed? Yeah, you. Yeah. I'm sure I've been presented with this information in the past, but I don't pay attention because that's not really my <laughs> okay. department here at home. <laughs> I can tell you how fast my car goes. How fast? <laughs> you, can, and? you can find it very, very easy. Like go to speedtest.com and <laughs> you, will, you will know about that. 
Yeah, or go to fast.com. That's the Netflix version, um, usually with a CD and local to you. And about the channels, if you are on the 2.4 gigahertz version, because a lot of IoT devices only support 2.4, make sure the channels are on 1, 6, or 11, so you don't have any cross noise. That's a very good tip. And I think the other one, you mentioned 2.4 gigahertz. Um, I think we need to, when you can, uh, go to the 5 gigahertz band. And maybe even the 6 if you have the money already, but I think 5 gig is a good starting point. Um, what about firewalls? Um, when you have a, a, a an internet operator, an internet provider, you normally get a, a DSL modem or cable modem with built-in firewall. Is that good enough? Nah. NAT is the best firewall. NAT is the best <laughs> firewall. <laughs> That's a different discussion we're not going to take right now. <laughs> well, well, now, now you, no, I, I think you mentioned it, but what is NAT for the audience who doesn't know what it is? Can you explain that, Liam? Sure. So when, when you have your, your private, your, your home network, your, your, your ISP or your cable modem will usually handle or hand out private IP addresses which are only sort of valid within your home, right? But if you want to go to cisco.com, your your gateway or your firewall or, or router needs to translate those private addresses into public sort of routable real IP addresses. And that's network address translation or NAT. And sort of the, 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 the joke has been, because NAT has been, it sort of hides everything behind your firewall from the public internet. So everybody has for a long time assumed that that is a, a security mechanism when in actuality it is, it is not. It is just sort of a, a way of, of, of obfuscating mm-hmm. the, the, the traffic or your, your addressing. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, for, for, I mean, I think on, on my sort of janky home network, uh, the, the, the built-in router has a, a firewall, some minimal stateful firewall, and that's about it. So once again, I mean, I kind of, I, I basically run a, a Starbucks access point at my house. So very, very, uh, the coffee's better though. But then uh, one of the problems with a lot of the consumer equipment is that uh, because NAT obfuscates the, uh, the access between the outside world and your internal network, a lot of the devices, they don't work. Like, for example, gaming devices, Xboxes, PlayStation, stuff like that. They want to have a direct connection so you can play your first-person shooter without any lag. Uh, so they invent protocols like universal plug-and-play that a device can just ask your router, open up this port for me so I can play my game. And your router goes, okay, that's fine. And you just open a port open from the internet back into your home so that that's cool right that's handy yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that's very handy Uh, anyone is using like a wireless mesh or wireless repeater or wi-fi booster you're you're talking like the google homes or eros no 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 the only the only thing i do know is that one uh, when my access point does not have any internet feed it can fall back into mesh mode so it creates a backhaul Wi-Fi network to the other access point to maintain basic access, but the Wi-Fi boosters—that's that's another story. That's totally different. I'm not sure. It's, I'm, I don't think I would call it technology, but it's. Um, they need to be shot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It halves your speed effectively, so every repeat wireless repeater in your network halves your effective speed. And it pollutes pollutes the whole radio spectrum, so. 
Never buy a buy a booster. Can we? Can we? Yeah, but, but why? Why should we not buy a booster? Because the booster still needs to transmit, retransmit your signal back to something else, and that's taking up the airspace. So it's better to have a radio nearby and have a wired connection in one way or the other to forward that information to your firewall. You're effectively adding an extra hop in your wireless network. And a wireless network is a shared medium. There's only one person talking and the rest is quiet. So every time somebody's sending something to the booster and the booster wants to forward it, the rest needs to be quiet on that channel. And that effectively means you're halving your speed. In nearly most of the cases, the the booster will make your connection actually worse than it was before. I think I have a booster in my bedroom. It's like plugged into the wall and has like two little antennas. Does it yeah, sound that like a sounds like a booster. Yeah. And there's not something else in a socket somewhere else connected mm-hmm. to your cable modem or your ISP modem? Because then it's not a booster. And it's actually using the power grid network to transmit data to. That's another home solution that can work brilliantly or not. My experience is as soon as you have solar panels, that solution doesn't work anymore. That's that's the power design uh, kind of technology, right? The uh, Ethernet over 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 your power. Yeah, it, it actually uses uh, your earth wire and in the same phase, but that's rather technical and because your solar panels actually generate f- uh, your voltage and your power on a higher frequency and level mm-hmm. to actually push back the data or no, not the data the, the power to the grid it actually breaks that signal quite a bit and the frequency on the ground uh, cable in that phase and that means that network doesn't work that well anymore so if you, if you have the chance uh, emily uh, go for a utp cable so if if um, like for a normal normal person um, uh, like in my in my house I I try to put uh, Ethernet everywhere, like um, I put it around sixteen seventeen points in like uh, f- six rooms or seven rooms. So I um, even even the contractor was saying that why do you require to have a lot of Ethernet? It's like it becomes like an office. It's not. It's not a home anymore. He <laughs> <laughs> says, "Okay, please put the <laughs> put the Ethernet." Uh, so for a normal person who who never design uh, like have a, like two stories or three stories house or large apartments uh, with no Ethernet, what's your recommendations or what's your so because it's it's really difficult to to put Ethernet currently, like um, it's not that easy. So, what's your you guys' recommendations to to for large house with for uh, to have a coverage everywhere? I definitely go for a, a mesh access point in that case, because a, a mesh access point uses an uh, uses a specific uh, channel to backhaul the traffic uh, to do the control traffic. It doesn't replicate the the packets, but it access it accesses real. Uh, a real ac- a normal regular access point but instead of an ethernet uplink it uh, uses a separate radio to backhaul all the traffic so mesh it is and if you and if you still really get a chance uh, uh drill a hole in the floor and uh, it, yeah <laughs> it, but it's also location and building specific um i would really suggest to go to the wired ethernet and have a local reseller or expert look at the possibilities to get wires uh, through like uh, 
the small pieces of wood uh, just above your floor. They're called plinths in Dutch. I don't know how they're called in English. You have special ones where you can put a cable behind it. That's also a way to put 100 meters of UTP cable in your building. And there's always a surface shaft for your drainage, for your water, for heating, and everything else in a building. You can leverage those too to get cables to a central point. But it's so specific per situation uh, that there's not a general solution. Well, and I have a last tip to close this off with. Les, just make sure that your bunnies don't access, aren't able to access your cables. Because I I'll had this... Them. Yeah, they chew them. I had this horrible experience once that one of the bunnies escaped and I had some cables that were protected by uh, something. And she chew right through it and everything went down because it was my backbone Ethernet between my internet modem and my pet's closet. <laughs> How's the bunny doing? She's okay. She's fine. <laughs> All right. Before I close, any last comments from anybody else? Any words of wisdom? No? We're all tapped out. All right. Well. A fun, fun discussion. Yeah. Okay. So to our listeners, um, we are going to try and throw some useful links in the show notes below. So um, check them out. Don't forget, you could subscribe or follow Cisco Champion Radio so you receive alerts when we release an episode. So wherever you're listening to us, please, please, please subscribe or follow. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you next Monday. 